Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pikesville Podcast. I'm your guest host, Brooke Lutwin. In this episode, we will share an interview with members of the Speech and Debate Club and a Tough Talk roundtable discussion about gun control. First up is an interview conducted by Nicholas Ferdman. In this segment, Nicholas interviewed the Speech and Debate Club to learn more about what they debate and how they prepare for success. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Nick, and welcome to Let's Get Real, the show where we talk about doing what we do best and adapting those things to the virtual learning environment that we have to that we have to um that we have to enter for the past year or so. With me today, I have. Ms. Derrier, along with the, uh, the Speech and Debate Club. Ms. Derrier, how are you doing today? I am all right. Uh, for starters, I would just like to say that I'm actually pretty excited and curious. So uh, my first question is, what is, your, um, what is the most recent topic of, de- of debate that you guys have had to uh, debate, I guess, in this club? Um, so recently, we've been going over some mock trials. Um, we've been kind of debating on whether, um, like a suspect is innocent or not, and pretty much just going over how a real trial would, but on actual topics of debate, we had some really cool conversations, like, about, um, capitalism, and we also talked about, uh, capitalism, we talked about, um, we talked about cancel culture, etc. It's fun. All right, so, um. So I noticed that you guys talk about a lot about um about more um more known and more serious and more common topics. Um, what have you guys worked with some more fun topics recently? Like is a hot dog sandwich, things of that nature. Uh, we usually talk about some fun topics, such as anything can be a sandwich or uh our certain things cars it, we talk about a lot of different topics that are a little bit strange or unusual uh sometimes just having a debate that's silly can just be fun and not so serious hmm. sounds interesting um what what is the what is the next topic to be debated so um we have been working on our mock trial for a bit we should be wrapping that up in the next few weeks, uh, and then we are going to start planning on meetings and stuff for next year as we are getting towards the end of 2020-2021 school year. And I am curious because I'm, I've never really known how these kinds of debates work, so I was just wondering, how do these debates work? What, what responsibilities does everyone get, things of that nature? Um. So there's usually a system we have in place where Ms. Derry is usually presenting a PowerPoint with our main topic, and we usually raise our hands, usually in like a circle or a line, and we all express our first response to the question. And as the first question is called, we kind of all think of different questions or uh, different responses we want to hear from the opposing sides of the argument. And it kind of grows from there. You know, we start from one topic and we kind of shift 
maybe not like the general topic, but we'll go from kind of like one side to another and we just try to figure out uh, which one's more reasonable or uh, which one's the best, but sometimes it's right down the middle. Okay, and now I'm now I'm also curious as to uh, a Miss Derrie. Is this your first year doing this club, or has this club been living for more years than one? Um, this is my third year at Pikesville, and we've had debate since I started. Um, the composition of who exactly is in the club changes a bit from year to year. Uh, a lot of the people this year are new, and we have a handful who are returning from last year. Uh, but I've been coaching speech and debate for about 15 years now. Wow. So um, how has it, since for those past 13 or 14 years of those 15, you've probably been physically teach, physically doing the debate. So um, how has it been having to do it virtually? And how has it been adjusting to the virtual learning environment? Because I know a lot of people... Um, a lot of people have had a lot of really big challenges uh, tra transitioning what they do in terms of clubs and things of that nature, extracurricular activities. They've had a hard time translating it to this virtual learning space. So have there any, been any challenges? How has that transition gone? Things like that. Um, when we were in person, we had, we would usually start off with some different games, improv games and things like that. Uh, I have yet to figure out a good way to transition that to the virtual environment. Um, we usually will have some kind of ball or something that we can pass in person uh, to determine who was going to be our main speaker and the hand raising in Google Meets is not quite as fun, but uh, it, it does the trick. Um, also, when we're in person, there's more of a chance to use hands-on evidence um, and kind of split things up, uh, work in groups a little bit differently. But um, I think that they have been doing a wonderful job being flexible uh, staying focused on our topics and participating, and it's been a pretty solid year. Mm, and um, um, approximately, how many days would you say, or I guess since you guys meet weekly, how many weeks would it take to, uh, would one debate take to set up, or is it just uh, every week a new debate? It really depends. Uh, sometimes it is two debates, most of the time is enough to finish one, but sometimes when we're doing cases, it could take three to four. Uh, it really just depends. Uh, and sometimes we lose uh, kind of determination to talk about something when uh, we have a lot of opposing our arguments or when there is, we feel like we've covered enough and that causes it sometimes to be only a week. So most of the time it's one to two uh, speech and debate times, periods, and then with case studies, it can be three to four. And have, um, and probably for the last question of the, of the day, um, have you guys done any more 
touchy topics. Like, um, because I know uh, a topic for debate typically has to be in more of a um, more of a yes or no fashion, or like there's one answer, but there's also an opposite answer fashion. So, have you guys ever had to convert something like a Black Lives Matter based topic to a debate style topic and discuss it? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, we have topics that are uh, touchy, like defunding the police. Um, is being um, is it racist? Is it being racist when when it comes to um white people or um more on like economic systems like capitalism, communism stuff? Hmm. Very interesting. And um. If anyone else wants to say anything, now's your chance. Yeah, we've uh, talked about this on the types of the topics, even gone deeper if uh, it's if it's wrong or not. Like we've gone into depth of defunding the police, is right or not? We've determined that we shouldn't defund the police, but we should reform in some sort of way so that's better without having to lower the budget or anything and we've also determined uh different types of things whether something is racist or not and common stereotypes and topics such as um being hating on jewish people or saying something on jewish people whether it's considered anti-semitic or racist because in today's society there will be um considered either for some reason even though both are completely different we've also had a yeah that topic about capitalism versus communism how both are similar and different and mm. how one works different than the other and which one is truly the better economic system in my opinion uh, personally Whatever works better for that country, for how the government works, how the laws work. Nika and Eric, no matter what topic we are currently debating, Nika and Eric always bring in a very interesting and engaging communism versus capitalism debate that uh, ends up finding its way into pretty much everything. What I just said was that uh, either economic system works for if your government rules and laws fit it personally america wouldn't really fit communism with the way the government is and the laws and stuff maybe china not america the whole point of communism is not necessarily to have a government and have rules and laws so that whole like america can't have communism because a government can't work for it is not a valuable um argument against communism if you really knew what communism was that's not a fair argument against it also uh breadline has nothing to do with communism that is more likely socialism if anything and still it has stuff to do with capitalism so yeah that's my rebuttal and uh that is a pretty fair synopsis of the lovely debates we get back and forth every week I was just about to say, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, a sample 
firsthand of what they do here. My name has been Nick. This has been Let's Get Real. Miss Durie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Nick. Of course. Have a lovely day, everyone. Don't forget to tell your friends and family about the Pikesville Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Pikesville Podcast and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcast apps. If you want to join the team or are interested in being a guest on a future episode, feel free to send a message to Mr. Smith at gsmith6 at bcps.org. Our featured segment today is a Tough Talk roundtable discussion about gun control, hosted by Gabriella Feinberg. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, podcast audience, welcome back to the Tough Talk segment. I'm your host, Gabriella. Um, for those of you who still don't know my pronouns after a few episodes, it's she, her. Um, and I'm very excited for today's podcast. We're going to be talking about gun control, and I would love for you to meet our lovely cast. We're going to start with Brooke. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Brooke Lutwin. I'm in 10th grade, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Christopher, and I go to Owens Mills, but uh, I'm a junior, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Hunter. Um, I'm a junior at Pikesville. Yeah, I'm just here, man. I'm Josh. Uh, I'm the junior at Pikesville. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, perfect. All right. So starting off the questioning, it's going to be a very intro question. I'm going to ask like both both sides um, why you are on the side. So for those who are here that are supportive of gun control, why do you support gun control? Um, I support gun control to a certain extent, but I support it because I think there needs to be some kind of regulations. I'm not saying that all guns should be illegal. Nobody should have access to guns. I'm just saying, in my point of view, I think that military assault rifles should not be sold just to anybody, even with background checks, because some of them are not as extensive as they should be. I'm very, very neutral because I, I'm a person that likes to understand both sides instead of just force mine down somebody else's throat. There's no, there's no right way of thinking. But I do believe with the amount of deaths and, you know, the amount of gun violence in the world, we can't just sit there and not do anything because there's way too many people dying. So I think there needs to be reform, but it doesn't have to be super radical change. It just there needs to be change. Um, I, I agree with uh, Hunter that uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty um pro-gun if it's in the right hands. But I agree with Hunter that we, we need to make sure that they're out of the hands of, uh, you know, especially people who are felons or violent misdemeanors, like domestic abuse and stuff like that, shouldn't have access to weapons. And uh, I, I kind of liked what Biden was saying yesterday when he was saying, like, no one should have access to military-type weapons and stuff like that. So I'm glad that we're all kind of in agreement that gun control is necessary, even if it isn't, like, super strict. Because I think there should be gun control. And the Second Amendment is the thing, and I believe in self-defense. But I think, you know, consider, like what Hunter said, considering everything we've been seeing recently 
and I admit all the people who've done the things they did, certain people should not be allowed to have access to guns and act, attaining a gun shouldn't be so easy. So for the reasons that any of you are against gun control, um, why is that? What would that be? I think that people should have a right to self-preservation in the event of, well, a lot of times if people are in rural areas, it's just an example, but like, let's say you're in a rural area and the police response times are like, you know, over like 15 or 20 minutes, then, uh, you know, that's, that's too long if somebody's like breaking into your house. And, um, I also think that, um, especially now with the way some things are, especially with like some rape culture and stuff like that, I think women should be carrying guns to be able to protect themselves. So I think it's important that people, as long as they're good people, should be able to carry reasonable weapons to defend themselves. I think we live in a world that is so incredibly dangerous that you know, removing guns will be a very hard process because there's so much violence that taking away the only thing to stop people from, you know, you know, coming at you, you know, is it's just a whole crazy thing. It's one of those things where it's like, well, once guns are out there, people are going to feel obligated to have guns to protect yourself. But like I, I heard um, Chris say about military grade guns, you know, assault rifles and stuff that are a little bit excessive. You know, I, I don't know too many people that need assault rifles and military-grade weapons to protect their house because unless a SWAT team is breaking into your house, there really would be no need at all for that. I'm, You know, shotguns can be understandable. You know, handguns can be understandable. Hunting rifles. I mean, but, like, people are out here stacking guns on top of guns on top of guns. And when you ask them, they talk about, oh, well, if I need to defend myself, but what are we defending ourselves from? If you have that many military grade weapons and stuff, I just think once it gets excessive, it just can be a, a threat. You know, once you show that a little bit of that obsession to I love guns and stuff, it can be very like questionable. So that comes to my first question. Um, for you all. How important do you feel a gun is for someone's protection? It's very, it really matters on the situation you're in. It's very contextual. You know, if you live in a certain area where violent crimes are more bound to happen, then that obviously raises, you know, your want to have, you know, a gun or something. And honestly, I think everybody should be able to have the choice. They shouldn't just be like, oh, well, I live here and you lived here because, you know, crazy things happen everywhere. But um, like I said, as long as it's not excessive, and that's where my issue comes in. No, um, I think that it's it's important. It's if especially if they're a law abiding citizen. And um, I think it's I think it's um, pretty important. Because um, there's different reasons for the sec for the Second Amendment. Some of them are for defending yourself. Um, well, a lot of the reasons are for defending yourself from interior threats. So I I think there's some things that um 
maybe necessarily the government can't protect themselves or i'm sorry the government can't protect you against such as like uh, a government that's too um like tyrannical maybe i mean that's unlikely but um also from things like especially with uh we see what the police are doing nowadays and stuff like that so i i think it's important to have protection against those things and i think an unarmed populace is very open to you know i mean the police can keep doing whatever they want if nobody has guns to defend them because at the end of the day they have guns and we wouldn't have guns um i feel like protecting yourself like with a gun isn't essential i don't feel like every human every human born has the right to own a gun if that makes sense that's just my opinion but if someone wants to attain a gun i think they should have like a rigorous like background check and i don't think it should be that easy i've heard you know people make debates about you know gun smuggling unregistered guns so like if the criminals have if criminals have guns then what are you know like a a law abiding citizen is going to fight back with like would they fight back with but i just feel like that's what the the law would do like the law would just restrict certain people from getting that stuff. And of course, not everything is going to be perfect, but it would be much better. I want to like talk about what you just said. Um, you said that like you don't think everyone like has a right to like coming from somebody who is pro gun reform. Um, I mean, like according to the Constitution, um, in the Second Amendment, like you literally like do have a right to. But I don't think that it's like in my perspective i don't think that it's completely necessary to have things like a military assault rifle like just like collections on your walls like just like what hunter said i don't i just think that it's not as necessary but i can see like handguns because of the dangers in our society today because more people are more people are getting their hands on guns and guns like things that should be kept in war and like military areas i just i think that there needs to be a limit on to what kind of guns people are allowed to access in like gun shops but of course people are just going to access things illegally and find loopholes like which we know about from other issues and things that are illegal people still find ways around it but i just think that there should be something imposing and making it harder for people to get access to things, not making it impossible, of course, because people are still going to find their way around it, but there still needs to be some kind of thing putting limitations on who can get something like a military assault rifle opposed to a handgun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stop you there, Hunter, before you go on to something. Um, Brooke made a comment about how it was written in the constitution that you have a right to be armed, right? I want to um, just like just for the audience sake, as well as for this podcast sake, when the Constitution was written, we all realized that, you know, like we just finished a revolutionary war, like not we, but like our country. And it was still very tumultuous around that there were like still wars that were going on. The original interpretation, not the original interpretation, the original mindset of the founding fathers for why they wrote this, this um, amendment in the Bill of Rights is because they wanted to have a ready militia. For those of you that don't understand that, it's because they wanted people to ha like have the right to own guns 
in case there was war and they would like need to draft people on site. They would need to have people go into war on site because at that point, you know, we weren't really having like all these like prepared military, you know, strategies and all that jazz. We weren't like in this like very um, uniform state that we are now. So when you say like, you know, it's written in the constitution, you have a right to a gun, you should have it. And going back into like the history of like, well, they needed that because they needed ready militia to possibly defend their country from wars that were going to happen when they didn't have um, an already organized military. Do you think that should still apply today when we do already have an organized military? And that doesn't go just to Brooke. That goes to like everyone in this um in this segment. I, I was going to say that um I actually respectfully disagree with the premise of what you said because um you said that the Second Amendment was for uh if we were ready to go to war in, in uh, 1787. And uh, it, it's actually, I believe that uh, f- the reason why the Second Amendment is there is actually to protect ourselves from interior threats. Like, I think um, the founding fathers were very concerned of uh, having a uh, government like like what the uh, British were doing, where uh, they, they basically had complete control over us and there was unfair taxation and all sorts of stuff, and we couldn't do anything about it because we didn't have any way to fight back. So I think that one reason why we had the Second Amendment is in case of a situation like that where the government tries to be tyrannical. And I think that that's why we had the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech. And then I think right after that, we had the Second Amendment. Uh, And I think that it was there. uh, So in case free speech doesn't work, then we can have uh, the Second Amendment as a last resort? Um, I don't 100% agree with that because it literally says in the first sentence, a well-regulated militia. Um, so I do believe, you know, there were some interior threats, but the interior threats weren't necessarily the way you would consider it now. Um, I, you know, Muskets. Let's just let's just get straight to the point. In whatever this seventeen eighty something whatever, there were not the grade of military weapon. Oh my goodness, I can't even speak. But they had muskets that literally took like seven hours to reload, and they had bad weapons. And let's just say, I don't think the interior threat was the meaning behind this because we were at a very high war rate. I wouldn't say war rate, but we were at a time where we are establishing ourselves as a country and you never know when that has to lead to war. And when it says well-regulated militia, I believe what Gabby said to be true is because they were, you know, in that phase of, you know, drafting or step up, you know, defend your country type thing, because we were just getting independence and, you know, setting out the regulations. I think because it's the constitution, the constitution is setting the rules and the standards and the precedent for behavior in the country that, you know, they wouldn't off rip, you know, as a very second amendment, try to, make something to protect yourself from domestic threats. I just think it's a little bit absurd that people are running with this idea that is 300 years old 
when it was a completely different world. I think that uh, that may be one reason, but um, you gotta remember at the time we just we just fought a war to break against the government. Basically, like we rebelled against the government maybe fifteen years before that, and um, I also think that um, that even though we don't we we don't use muskets to, right now. Um, we still have like freedom of speech on uh well social media is private company but on like tv for example like like the like the government the founding fathers didn't know how like tvs worked but like even now the government can't like step in and tell people like what they can and can't say on tv even though the founding fathers like didn't know what it was or didn't know how it worked but so, oh keep going no i'm i'm so, i'm done i'm sorry um, I'm gonna make a statement, and then you can go, Brooke. I wanna, I wanna um, point out. Uh, before we had the Constitution, we had the Articles of Confederation. If you guys remember that, a little history for the audience. If you guys don't remember that either, it was like our, it was our precursor to the Constitution. We like the country wrote this, um, establishing you know like what powers are are where and why. It was a very like weak central government. You know, a lot of power to the states. But within this, you know, governmentation with the Articles of Confederation, we had um, what is known as Shays Rebellion, which is where a lot of veterans were really mad because they weren't getting the money that they needed. And that was part of, like, the taxing problem of, like, the government couldn't get money to, like, give these veterans. So, like, they weren't getting the money they needed. They weren't getting the, um, like being able to go back to the land that they once had. So there was this rebellion and Articles of Confederation said that the United States could not assemble like on a military, could not assemble a ready militia. And so when they were in the constitution rewriting this, they saw that like, like, like this, this, that was the break point of like, okay, we can't have the Articles of Confederation because we can't govern with such a weak government. So I just wanted to point that out that like, yes, the revolution did happen and we were fighting tyranny, but the constitution was not our first document for like the base of government. It was technically our second and um, from a trial and error where we saw that like, we needed more of a stronger base to be able to have some kind of governance. I just wanted to put that out there for the discussion. Um, but if you have any other points, Brooke, go ahead. So I actually just did my own little independent thing while Josh was talking. So the NRA literally says that the founding fathers felt that citizens should be able to protect themselves against the government and any other threat to their well-being or personal freedom. The Second Amendment granted citizens that right, giving them the ability to defend themselves and their property. So just to clear that up, since there was kind of like, I think it means this, like I and like I disagree with what it's that's literally like what it says. So I was just like putting that out there just to like give some like clarification onto like why it was, just to open up like conversation. Why well, actually? Oh, I'm I mean, sorry. Isn't that the National Rifle Association? So aren't they, you know, gonna try to make it seem a little bit more of a it's really Correct. how you take it because that's Correct. obviously a pro gun source. Well, also, I'm not like all like pro gun control, and I'm not all like pro like anti guns. 
like that didn't make sense like anti-gun like i'm i'm not pro gun and i'm not like anti-gun i'm like more in neutral but and of course like that does have like some implicit bias i i mean like it in my opinion like it's just gonna because i i posted to i posted something from just kind of like a neutral perspective and it was pretty much like the same exact thing like i just don't think like you can change history like that it's not like an opinion that was like literally saying it's different but, when you i mean but like the actual second amendment it says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right people to keep in their arms should not be infringed and see what what you said about the nra is taking that out of context because never did they say anything about defending yourself or any type of interior threat. If it says, you know, it never states that. It says well-regulated militia, which our militia is not a interior threat. It is more of an exterior thing to protect us from exterior threats. So it's so easy to take words and then translate it to what you want to hear, you know, because the same way I say that, you know, I'm not saying I'm 100% right by backing it saying well-regulated militia, but, you know, nobody's right. You can take anything in the Constitution and, you know, anything in life and you can take it how you want to be, you know, how you want to take it. I do think, you know, what the NRA was saying was taking it out of context because of their obvious bias is literally the National Rifle Association. Um, but I'm just going off of what I can physically see in the Second Amendment, what was written. It does not say anything close to that. But the question that Gabby asked was also why, well, she didn't ask, but she said why the Founding Fathers did what they did. And that's also not stated in the amendment either. Like, it's not saying the Founding Fathers did this because so of course like the nra does have this implicit bias but there's also some credibility to take account that they do have some kind of like 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 understanding of it which is not all biased even though they are very pro-gun that doesn't mean that everything that they're saying is going to have a bias in this case i guess like it did have a bias but it was also not stated in the in the um in the in the second amendment strictly like the founding fathers did this because it's kind of up just you would have to learn history like okay. to i'm gonna end this little small debate um oh, sorry. i'm also gonna correct um brooke in the way that she stated my question i wasn't asking why the founding fathers put this in there i was kind of asking if like that interpretation as you guys so very like variously like talk to me about if it should still stand today but you guys mentioned a lot about self-defense right um so i want to i want to bring up something um through my research that i found um i got this from uh harvard um a harvard article in case you guys want to know where my sources are i just want you guys to know none of this information i'm like pulling out of a hat um victim use guns and less than 1% of like contact crimes. As in most of the time, um, most of the time, um, people when like we're talking about, oh, this is, need this is needed for self-defense, like gun use is needed for self-defense. It's very rare that a gun is actually used for self-defense. 
And oftentimes when people need to use a gun in self-defense, they have to be like told beforehand so that they may get that gun and use it. If someone's going to spring an attack on you, um, you're not going to like think out of like, out of like, you know, your head, like, oh, I need to go. If, if you are a, li- a law-abiding citizen and you keep your gun in a secure place, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to unlock whatever I have to do, get, like, my weapon so that I may protect myself. So just thinking about that, um, how, how, like, in, in the question of self-defense, how, how much are we, like, saying that, like, you know, guns are really for the use of self-defense when most of the time... In, in cases, guns are not there and used for self-defense. It's more about, like, the person committing the crime using it, you know, for harm. Yeah, that's why what I said earlier... Hold up, can you hear me well? Okay, that's yeah, why what I said earlier that, like, the restrictions on the people who can, who can obtain the gun should be more stricter. So... If there's less guns in circulation, I feel like then that will definitely create a benefit because then there'll be less guns unregistered. And the more guns that you have in circulation, and the more go unregistered, the more go registered. And it's not like mass shoot mass shooters, most of them don't have unregistered guns. They're, you know, they could be former veterans. They can just be regular people who attain the gun legally. But you know, they just went off the edge and they did what they did. And I can't think of any mass shooters that ended up dead besides like one case in the 90s where somebody walked into a, 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 a Amish community. But yeah, like even, even, even the people who do the worst with, with a gun do not get shot back at, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I feel like, you know, there should be more stricter laws to have people like that just not even receive guns in the first place. So what kind of things would you suggest that would ensure that these people are not receiving guns? Um, well, first, firstly, like you said, uh, like you and Hunter had said previously, like the having assault rifles. I don't think is necessary at all. You know, like I can't imagine any justifiable reason that a regular civilian would need a assault rifle because you can shoot deer with hunting rifles. You can shoot deer with bows. No deer needs to be shot with AR. You know what I'm saying? And mo- most of the time when people have stuff like that, those are the people who end up doing such terrible things. Like even even small things like three printed okay <laughs> i think i know what i'm kind of talking about but um the stock bump that the the las vegas shooter used he used like a 3d printed anything but like that's what i'm saying there should be higher restrictions on the people who get the guns like i'm kind of getting lost ultimately background checks are only really use when you're going to like a gun store and like wanting to like buy a gun most of the times background checks are not really used if you're buying it from an unlicensed person or like someone such like a gun sh- sh- gun show 
I think I was gonna say store, <laughs> um, a gun show, like they're not giving you background checks. They're just kind of selling it. And also if you're just gonna buy it from somebody off the street, like, hey, homie, like I got a gun, like, do you want it? Like, and you like, okay, yeah, sure. Who Who's to say that this person is safe? And also people with criminal records, yes, it's a lot harder for them to get a gun, but there's also people who could potentially be just as dangerous and just not have any past criminal record. So you just don't know. And that's why. And also, like, if we're getting into it, like, seriously, like mental health records, they cannot be released because of confidentiality. Like, you can't, like, just release those type of things. So, like, that could be used for, like, a background check. Like, of course, like, charges can, but just not, like, mental stuff. I just think that, like, when you're saying that we need background checks, take into account that there's already background checks that are pretty much as invasive as they can be like within the regulations of just confidentiality and everything like that but I just think that that's something to consider that there already is like background checks just yeah and I I kind of agree with um, what Brooke was saying I'm actually since I'm like neutral and sometimes it doesn't sound like I am um, that statistic you brought up um, about like violent crimes and when people, I mean, contact crimes and when people are um, defending themselves. I, I like that statistic, but at the same time, there there still is a level of security that, you know, is heightened, especially if you live in an area where stuff like that happens way more often. There is a heightened level of security that people feel. And I feel I feel like a lot of it is mental because there's very few situations where it genuinely happens like that. And most of the time, you know, people, you know, don't do these crimes or they break into your house like everybody has it set out to be while you're there or while you're just sitting up there holding your gun already ready. A lot of these situations are when you are not there or when you are not, you know, when you're asleep or something happened. But I, I, I always say, you know, let's, you know, stricken up how people get guns, but there's never really been a real, I've never really heard too many good, like, counters, like, like, how are you going to make it harder for people to get guns? Because I, I really struggle to hear and to even think, because I try to think, I, I struggle to find, you know, good, reasonable ones that are likely to even come to fruition from the government because you can think of them all you want but some of these might be slightly harder to attain how about racism uh, on guns what do you I, say I think, repeat that how about raising taxes on guns Making i think that's a good idea especially if you want to eliminate you know crime in low income areas if you can just start the process of eliminating guns but there's already so many like guns that are out illegally that still create an issue 100%. how about um like going into this topic of like you guys are talking about background checks you're talking about gun sales um brooke mentioned like you know there are private gun sales sure. there are you know gun sales and gun shows which are not often requiring background checks um if you guys didn't know that so going on the topic, do you think that background checks should then be extended to things like those private gun sales? Like, hi, I have a gun. I'm registered like gun owner. 
I legally own one. You want one, but you have to go through a background check to get one. So in that case, and especially for gun shows, when people can walk in and like kind of get guns more easily, do you think those background checks should be extended to those areas? I, I, I do. I think that um, one problem, though, when we, when we talk about um, gun control is uh, a lot of times, like with the bump stock and stuff, and like when people do uh, like, like when they sell guns at gun shows without, without uh, background checks, I think that one problem with that is that's, is that's already illegal. So I'm not really sure what a, what a good solution would be to, um, to stop that. And uh, like, mil- like military weapons, like they're already, um, well, I'm sorry, assault rifles. Um, that's, that's, those are automatic weapons and those have been banned since like 1933. So um, I, don't, I don't know what we can do about like bump stocks or um, un- unlicensed um, gun sales without background checks because those are already felonies that would actually prevent those people from owning guns in the future legally. How about, well, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Texas, I think it's Texas, they make it so when you're trying to get a license to own a gun, you have to go through like a training class. You have to just have more like understanding of how to use a gun because there is like a lot of accidental deaths not every single person who dies by a gun obviously is just like from violence it's some of it's just like oh i'm in like a practicing shooting range however somebody didn't know how to use a gun and acts and like turned it this way and pulled the trigger like take that into like account that it's not always people like a lot of the times like people will i don't know if you guys see like on the news people like oh like someone like accidentally like shot like their parent like somebody got into these got into their parents gun stash because it wasn't properly secured there's things that can like prevent that like there's i don't know if there's a law in place right now that like says like you have to have it locked up but there's people literally having it like on their like walls like on display that like any child could get into any like teenager who like thinks that their tough stuff can get into um yeah it depends on the state different states have different laws but i think that these accidental deaths are kind of undermined when talking about gun control because a lot of people who are so like pro gun control like oh like no guns allowed at all are only using like their evidence to back their claim up from violence like based things not every single person who dies by gun control i mean that dies by the hands of a gun the hands of a gun that dies because of a gun is the victim of intentional violence i like i really like the first part of what brooke said especially where she said um uh i think she said it was texas but she said that they require a training class in texas and I'm 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 cool with that because I think that people who own guns need to be responsible with them. But um, yes, I, I I think that would be a, a good thing to have. And maybe you could require um, especially for con- for uh, concealed carry, you could um, show how to um, carry that properly. But the part where I disagree is like locking it up because what's because if if you if it's locked up then it's, that means you can't use it if like if, if you need it that kind of throws away the whole like 
self um self defense thing, which is really like the only valid case next to the Constitution that most pro gun people have is the you know the self defense thing. I don't one hundred percent agree with like locking it away. I do agree. I I think that we should lengthen the process of getting a gun. And I'm not just saying, you know, some classes. I'm saying make this process longer, prolong that whole, because people will buy guns and then instantly go out and commit the crime that they want to do. Like that will happen sometimes. Sometimes people will have the guns for long. But I'm saying prolong the process. Make it a, a, you know, add some tests in there, you know, intelligence tests, multiple tests and stuff. Make it a process. Make it show that somebody is dedicated to wanting to, you know, use their gun for only good though um because i just think it's so it's so easy and i mean yeah you can't really do too much about invading all types of privacy and all types of rights with the whole background check thing but at least you know let's get some tests let's prolong this situation it shouldn't be you're in it takes a little bit to check things and you're out it needs to be more than just a day it needs to be a process and saying sorry i didn't want to interrupt anyone but i actually saw something i think it's 180 seconds that the fbi like or like whatever like thing that like does the background checks it only takes like 180 seconds for it to be like okay you're good who says that that system is like modernized like that system could be out of date like they need to like seriously do some like more extensive and i that's basically what you were saying hunter like couldn't just be such like a short process like if you're literally holding something that could potentially be like dangerous well all guns are dangerous like or could cause danger it's like i know like not like the person it's like it's the person not the gun i know that and i agree with that but like at the end of the day like guns are the things that kill people oh yeah um, yeah, I'm gonna like stop this. I'm gonna stop this like trail of thought because um, you guys mentioned something about like Hunter actually mentioned something about like if you're only going to be using a gun for good, what do you constitute? What's your definition of using a gun for good? Uh, when I said that, I meant for good is not bad, you know, like you're not in going out there to use it maliciously. Um, you know, some so people, what is, what then would you use it for? Like what like what do you think that like people because we're talking about like you like you have a right to use it, you should use it. So what is the good that you are like, you know, want people to have it to use for? I mean, personally, I didn't really mean to say for good. I was just trying to find a way to say, you know, use the gun without, you know, shooting somebody. Um Personally, I only think that people have feel the need to defend themselves so much because the world is so dangerous from guns alone. The only reason you need to defend yourself with a gun is because other people have guns. So what I mean is there really necessarily isn't a gun. I mean, I know, like I said, you know, and I give like courtesy to people who have guns strictly to hunt, but that should strictly be hunting rifles. Um, I just I'm not a, you know, I, I understand that there's always going to have to be guns for people to so-and-so defend themselves, even though I, I feel like a lot of people use that as an excuse just to have guns. They say that, but 
but they're never really in a situation where it ever happens, like you said earlier. But like I said, you can't guarantee that the situation will never come because that situation could, you know, happen. But I mean, there never really is a reason to use a gun because the only reason to use a gun is because other people have guns. And also, um, what you said, the only, the only reason why people say that they need like self-defense, like for they need guns for self-defense is because other people have guns. There is such a hierarchy in society, such as police officers. They have guns, but look at what's happening right now. If you were to like say, oh, th this is my this is my second amendment, right? I have a gun. And you were to say that to a police officer, you're like, you're already dead. Like you are dead. So at the end of the day, what is this self-defense? Is it home intruders? Like, are we carrying? Like, that is so unlikely. Like, I'm not saying that home invasions don't happen. I'm saying that you're not really going to be carrying a handgun everywhere that you go. I'm not going to be going to Walgreens carrying a handgun. Yes, I carry pepper spray, but that's not, like, that doesn't have bullets. It's something that's self that self-defense that I can use for self-defense that's not gonna really like put a bullet through somebody's head. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like with that. I would say this really quick because I don't want to hog all the time. Um, but people act like there aren't other ways to defend yourself. People act like the only way to defend yourself is to shoot and kill somebody. Um, there are there are knives, there's, you know, tasers. And if you're so worried about a home invasion, how about you lock your doors, get an alarm system. I'm telling you all of these precautions. You can even make a home alone setup. All of this costs less than getting a gun. And I kind of, I agree with Brooke because, you know, like I understand what Hunter, Hunter was saying when he said, you know, for good cause when, when you need to acquire a gun. But like, I based on the research that I've seen, she she was actually right when she was saying on how much suicide actually contributes to gun deaths. Like murder, we, we do see a lot of mass shootings and we do see a lot of people being killed by guns, like with murderous intent. But a lot more of that is people accidentally hurting themselves, you know, kids breaking into their parents, unconcealed guns and accidentally hurting themselves. That happens, I feel, a lot more than talked about. And also, that's why I kind of disagreed with Josh and Hunter when they said the gun shouldn't be locked up because that contributes so much to people being hurt and, and people accidentally hurting themselves, them not knowing how to use a gun. And that's why I also like the Texas thing, because if you know how to use a gun and you know to be responsible with it, then you won't hurt anybody. And you can also avoid, you know, stuff like your, ch your children being hurt because you failed to conceal your gun. I understand the argument that if someone were to break in your house and the gun is locked up somewhere, it might be harder to access. That That is a valid argument, but it's... It's more on occasion that the people, the people who get to those guns first, the people who get to those guns first are the, are the ones accidentally hurting themselves. And that's so. why we have driver's ed, because driver's ed 
well, not because like a gun, but like driver's ed, we need to learn how to use a car, not right. saying cars are the things that like are the cause of death. It's the person that's driving the car and does not know how to use it. That's killing other people or driving drunk, not like knowing the rules of the road. Like you need to know what you're doing with a gun to be safe. And that's why driver's ed's mandatory. Right, they're, being responsible with it. Right, there's so many like things that you need to take account, like when you're driving a car. Same thing for a gun. You should have like a license for a certain amount of time to get like a whole like license, like gun. Especially since it's something that can kill a person. Like a car can kill a person. So you wait this long so you know that you know how to handle this situation. So right, and a lot of people just go buy guns and they're like, oh, going into a grocery store, pow, like. And there's people, if you take into account what the Parkland shooting happened, Nicholas Cruz, they literally could look at his social media and be like, this kid's a sociopath. Like, he literally said, I want to kill people. And they're like, oh, here's your gun. What? I just think there needs to be some kind of research. I mean, like, not research. needs to come like, license to ensure. Okay, Josh, because he has to uh, I think there's a couple things that I disagree with. So I think that, um, like, as far as what, what you said that um, with, like, the, like there's other options such as like pepper spray and stuff uh, that can work and like if you ever been sprayed with pepper spray you know it burns and it can incapacitate you but that doesn't stop like so that doesn't being sprayed in the face that doesn't stop someone from like continuing through the pain you know what i mean and especially like if that person is on drugs or something then like maybe they can't they can't feel the pain and like one one thing that um that also that you said with the police that I like to see is like uh when you when you said that um if you if you say to an officer I got my Second Amendment here's my gun and you're gonna get shot um I think I think you're right but um I think that uh one thing that they should do in the um in the training courses that we were talking about earlier is teach people how to how to um like calmly and this isn't going to solve every problem with the police interactions but um you could possibly um uh, explain to these people like you like you could have like your hands up and calmly say like officer i got a concealed gun in my right pocket or like something like that and then that could um that could significantly reduce like a police officer getting spooked because i because i because i if if i was if i was a police officer and i stopped someone and then they just pulled out a gun without giving me any warning, then I would be scared for my life too. What if you were- I, I, I can't say I agree with that last part because there's been so many times where the fact that a person has owned a gun alone, even if they weren't touching it, is the sole reason that the police justified shooting them. Now, if, if, you, if they can't see it and you tell them you have a gun on you, just wait weird. till the story changes to, he had a gun on him. You cannot, you cannot. Especially because that. of the, because of the systematic racism that's inside of, that's just kind of built within the police system and the police force. If you are a person of color and said, I have a gun, you're literally dead. Like by you saying, oh, I'm, I have my second amendment right. They don't care. Have you seen videos of people getting pulled over? Like they don't care like at all. Like, oh, I have a right to know why you pull me over don't care, you get another ticket for asking me. Police abuse their power so much. And if they have a gun, 
and you have a gun because you are protecting yourself from forces like that, from a tyrannical government, just like what they're being a part of. They're like so just not, they abuse their power so often because they think that having a badge is like, oh, I can do whatever I want now. If you're a person of color and you are literally saying I have a gun, you're that's a ticket for death, literally. And then the media will twist that and be like, oh, well, Fox News will be like, oh, had a gun, must have been some, must have been something wrong, like must have been a criminal. What? Um, that is just. Like, uh, I'm gonna mean, stop but... Josh for a second before we okay. go on to anything because we've been in a lot of debate, and I want to ask a specific question because Brooke did bring up the topic of um minorities and their relationship to guns so like it is a fact that minorities like they are disproportionately affected with guns more like there are way more shootings and way more deaths happening to people of color than they are people who are not of color so just going into that um like how do you think how do you think guns like really like truly like affect minorities? How do you think gun control would affect minorities? And along like with that whole entire thought, I know I'm giving you a lot to process. Um, what do you think would like help minorities with um, this, this impact of gun violence? Um, I'm a firm believer as somebody who has done a lot of research on systemic racism um you can't take all these guns out the streets you can't really just say oh let's end systemic racism systemic racism has been a product of slavery and it's been going on for so long that you know gang culture is is family culture to them so it's not something you can just switch up like that what i do think they need to do is there needs to be better youth programs in here give people a place where they can learn good career paths and give these kids a way out and give them something that can occupy their time outside of violence. Because yes, there are youth groups that exist, but there's so many kids that their parents are, you know, dead in jail, drug addicts, abusive. There, there needs to be access to a lot of the things that we have access to, you know, from, you know, a place of, privilege because, you know, we aren't in these areas we have access to because, you know, we have, we're closer to them. But I think it can completely eliminate if we start with the youth. More access to free mental health resources. I don't know. I think we should probably take some funding out of things that are not used as much and, or maybe like split it in half since I know like that's people like always say, oh, where's the money coming from? Maybe like take some money like away from like other things that are not as important, if that is even possible. I mean, I'm not as educated in that realm of just like like economics. I'm not educated in that, but that's just a possibility coming from somebody who literally does not know economics a lot. I agree with the systemic racism thing. And I agree that uh, sometimes there are some patriarchal aspects in, in American society, which I think is actually a reason why people of color or um, why, uh, why women may need to, uh, yeah, and, and Asian Americans, they, they may uh, need these weapons to defend themselves. 
because especially like with the rise of hate crime and stuff like that and like in like in chinatown um in uh san francisco they all have um and i'm not this is not an argument for if ar-15 should be legal but like they all have ar-15s to defend themselves or some type of weapon because they know that they're open to hate crime so i think that the whole um systemic thing is actually a, a, a reason why um people of color or women should be able to defend themselves even more and even have more of a reason to be able to have a weapon um, the issue with that is most of the time those guns aren't being used to defend themselves it's being used to kill each other um so that that kind of you know doesn't a hundred percent even out yeah also like I feel like because of where we see people of color, like so social economically, like they they tend to be less poor and poor communities have more crime. So that that's why I like what Hunter said because as an African American male, I know the culture that we see in the media, and I know how we're displayed. So if we had if if there were more ways, government-funded ways to, for uh, people just around my age, you know, as a junior in high school, to see things different than that, then I think that would definitely improve places like that. It's, you know, black people are mostly, they're, they're gonna be seen in lower income communities. Like, that. that's just how America is. People of color are typically they're typically, you know, they have less money than people who are not of color. So that's why I feel like there's a lot more threats on guns. But also, if we had, like what Brooks said, if we had more access to free mental health resources, then that would definitely improve both gun, both people getting murdered by guns and just crime in general, I feel like. So can we just like take a second to take account what happened on January 6th of this year? Very limited people of color in that crowd and so many AR-15s, so many AR-47s just there. And it was like the police against the other group of people. Um, like none of them were, no police was like, I'm going to shoot you, even though they literally had assault rifles, like, on their backs. Oh, I carry. Like, cool. But isn't that a threat? Like, I just feel like because the police system is so embedded in systematic racism that it's just not even the guns. I think it's just this. I think it's just being a person of color is so difficult because of, well, only because of what I've seen and what I've heard from my friends who are people of color. Um, and also just literally evidence such as that, that there is that difference. Like my dad even said who's, who his father was a police officer. So he like is in that whole thing. He literally said if they were a group of black people, they would all be dead because the police see them as such a threat. So it's just, you need to take that into consideration. Like, when you're talking about gun control, that even if it's not like, even if they do have a gun to protect themselves, it could still be like a death 
thing. There's a double standard. There's a massive (laughs) double standard. Because I went to a predominantly white school for like sixth and seventh grade, and there's a lot of conservative people there. And you'll hear them talk about guns all day long. But the minute a black man gets shot or gets in any altercation with the police and had any type of weapon near them, their first thing is, oh, he had a he had a knife, he had a gun. Um, you know, he had a hammer, like anything, anything, they'll throw that, you know, at you. And I'm it, it, it's just it's getting to the point where it's like it is so blatantly obvious that in the world that a, a black man with a gun is taken differently than a white man with a gun. And I'm not going to say all the issues in the world are about race. And I'm not even going to say all the issues in systemic racism are about black people alone. There's a lot of this stuff in the Hispanic communities and stuff. And people will, you know, forget that. But at the same time, you said you said something earlier about, you know, women and people of care, uh, people of color should especially, especially in these areas, should especially have a gun. But a lot of the times these people get taken completely out of context whenever situations happen and then the, the table flips and boom, they had a gun. Right. You have to realize there is a there is a hierarchy, there is a, a level of privilege when it comes to guns. There is a level with, you know, people of color at the bottom and then, you know, women are a little bit higher up, but they still have a double, they still have a standard that is different than white men at the top. And I'm not somebody who makes everything about race, but that's just how it is. You can check the news. There's no way that at the beginning of quarantine, people were having those protests with the assault rifles with no mask on. And then you see people get like shot, pepper sprayed and arrested just for standing outside and peacefully protesting. You can't deny that there's a double standard. So let's let's try to, you know, not act like that doesn't exist. Man, I understand what you're saying, but like a lot of the times when these minorities, not even just racial minorities, just people that are different, you know, whether it's sexual orientation, a lot of the times that these people own, you know, guns and stuff, it puts them at a different type of risk just because they are not, you know, they are a targeted group, a normally targeted group. So with all of that, with all of like what you guys said, And I think this is going to be my final question for this segment. Um, Just, like, I want you guys all marinate in all of, like, the discussion that you just had about your differences and, like, agreements about, like, um, youth groups for people with minor, like, who are are minorities for um, more, um, like, mental health, like, uh, like, institutions where people can, like, go and solve that um, or, like, get help. All like just all the solutions that you guys have like you know said to me. What do you think is the best way to attack an an obviously like an obvious problem that we do have with guns, regardless of if you are against gun control or are you are pro gun control or as or as like we have very obviously noticed you're neutral. What do you think is the best solution to combat these um, atrocities? Because that's what they are. I'm not gonna like you know, like sugarcoat it, these atrocities that we've obviously experienced very recently and continue to experience. What do you think is the best way to go about this? Well, I'm not, I'm sorry, I just wanted to say, I know I'm arguing pro-gun, but I'm not, like, I'm not anti-gun control. I think that, um, that, um, um, maybe 
uh, don't want as many government restrictions. But I, I don't, I don't like. I'm not anti-gun control. Like I don't think anyone should just be able to to pick up like an automatic weapon. Are you pro constitution? I think I think that's something that's. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like um. Right. Yeah, constitutional. Right yeah. But I, I also support a safe society. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's why I, I feel like you know stuff like having guns available at Walmart, like stuff like that, that needs to be completely eradicated. I don't think, like like we were saying earlier, even though there are background checks and psychological screening in place, I think it needs to be an even more vigorous and longer process. Like Hunter was saying, these people who do these stuff, they, they just get the gun, then they go and commit the crime because they were planning to do it. So I feel like if we were to make these things longer and <laughs> and make and make guns just less in circulation, just like completely cutting it out, like stop commercializing them, then I think that will definitely help with gun control. And I think that would also help with murders against gun control. But also my last important piece that I want to make is that I do think that people who own guns need to lock their guns up. I don't know if y'all remember. I don't know how old these commercials were, but like there was these commercials like where we saw um, you know like kids going in their parents boxes and stuff and then accidentally pulling the trigger and stuff. That happens so often and the statistics show that people do that a lot. And that could definitely, I feel like that can definitely be cut down if people just simply locked up their weapons. I think I'm going to um, come to my conclusion, but I think when it comes to locking the guns up, just because it's in somebody's house, it's kind of hard to really like enforce that. It's really just a choice because when you're in the privacy of your home, there's nothing that they can really do about that. But um, and, it, and it is already illegal, so I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, um, I do think that. You know, we can say, you know, strict strict the laws up, but I'm I'm leaning more towards making it a process. And I'm not saying, you know, a couple of days. I think any time that you will come in contact with a thing that can kill multiple people, gun in guns. Um, if you want to be a pilot, it doesn't. It's not a quick process. You have to go through it for you know a couple months. Whenever you get your um, you get your permit. You gotta have nine months with your permit, 60 hours of drive time before you can go off on your own. So I do think that if, you know, when I said this and I don't know the specifics and all of that, I just kind of came up with it on the spot, but I do think there should be a registration period and they should, you know, monitor your behavior and your tendencies for a short amount of time. I'm not saying have somebody like sit there with binoculars and look inside your house, but I'm saying, you know, anything you know, like shady, you know, happened, there should be, you know, a sense of, I need to know this person before I give this person anything that technically could take out a lot of people. So I think there needs to be a increased level of trust. And it can't, it can't just be something that in, in under a week, you have a gun. And if you have bad intentions, right away, you can just kill somebody. It needs to be a process. There needs to be a level of devotion towards having a thing that can kill people the same way that, you know, a car that can kill people. You can just drive through a, 
a school zone after dismissal and hit a bunch of people with a car. There's a level of trust they have to have before they let you drive by yourself. And the same thing needs to happen with guns because 316 people are shot every day. And that's not, you know, that's that's terrible. That shouldn't be able to happen. And like what I was saying earlier, I think that there should, I think what Hunter was saying earlier is I think there should be like a process and like licenses for like, just like when you're getting a car, like there's like a provisional license. And also because background checks are not as effective as they should be because people are finding loopholes around it. I think that there should be some type of like training um, and having to like go through training to in order to get a license because to prevent those accidental deaths from occurring. Um, but I mean, even like with drugs and everything, like people are still getting a hold of them, even though those are illegal. Not when it, if you make something illegal completely, people are still going to like have access to it. So, for example, of course, guns. In order to like be safe about it, you should know how to use it. So, of course, you don't know everybody's true intentions when they want to buy a gun, they could say they're using it for hunting, but they're really going out to do malicious acts. You don't know that. And a background check, a background check can't always prove that. So I think that is my conclusion. I think that, um, I think that, um, overall, I think there was a lot of, I think we, we, I think both, both, uh, not both, but everyone here said some things that I agreed with things I disagree with. I think that was the same for everyone probably here. I think that um that you guys have some good ideas and especially some stuff I agreed with. But I think that my overall message is that I think that I is like I at least me personally, I would rather have a gun to protect myself um from someone who not even necessarily a gun, but like let's say let's say like someone is like running after like some like like some guy who's like seven feet tall is running after me, right, with no weapon. Then I then I then like you, you, that that's one reason why you may need it, even if you're not defending yourself. You need to shoot somebody who's seven foot with no weapon. No, if they're like running after me, trying to hurt me, as well as well. So you're gonna kill him? No, I'm gonna aim for body mass to incapacitate him. Or if you had a, uh, like, you know, you know what pepper spray does. It actually makes you grab your eyes. Yeah, that's true. But the, the problem with, like, tasers and pepper spray is, like, with pepper spray, it's, it, it, it burns. Like I said earlier, like, I've accidentally been sprayed with pepper spray before. And it, it burns. <laughs> Everyone's laughing now. But um, I, I think that um, you could still have someone who's, like, not affected by it as much as like a gunshot and the like the thing with tasers is with the taser let's say you only get one shot so like you could be in a situation where someone's trying to hurt you and you try and like pep like pepper spray them like for me like i like i'm not like i don't even know if i would be tall enough to hit someone who's seven feet tall in the face with pepper spray you know what i mean and like yeah, you 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 could need a gun to defend yourself with someone with someone without a gun. Like knives are, I think it's, I think it's, is it, is it three times more deadly within seven yards? I think than guns. I think I've seen that study somewhere, 
but um i i can't i lost the tab because I um true yo my tab i had a tab i had a bunch of tabs open but i accidentally exited out of the chrome tab but i could try and find those um like sources if you guys are interested i'm gonna i'm gonna make a statement while we're doing these conclusions um by law when we're talking about self-defense and the use of guns your first instinct by law should not be to fire your arm should not be to fire your gun what you are supposed to do by law is to get out of the situation if you can as like as fast as you can in a safe manner you are only to use that gun if like you are about to die so if someone is running at you who happens to be seven foot tall um run um (laughs) i I agree with that like like definitely don't shoot someone as your first instinct but i'm saying like there could be all sorts of situations where you as a defenseless person could have um could have yeah people do get scared and shoot but um you you could have okay let's say like you're in a situation where you have a gun and let's say someone's running at you with a knife, right? So you so you start to run, but let's say like you can't outrun that person or that person's like really fit or something. There are all sorts of scenarios where you can um, be in a situation where you may have to use your gun. And, and even though you're the one with the gun and the other person doesn't have a gun, the other person may put you in a position where you have to use your firearm to defend yourself. That is slightly different than what you said before. You said somebody without a gun, you know, you'd have to use a gun. Um, I think that way of thinking can be very problematic because that can be in a lot of different situations of fear. And do you do you think that if you shot a, a shot a man who was chasing you um, but had no weapons, do you think in court you should, you know, get off free? No, uh, like. I think it depends on the specific situation. So I think so. Like when I go into like a like shot a, a man without a gun. Well, like if I like okay, if I go into a restaurant or like movie theaters or like in a mall, let's say, like I like I'm always looking around for exits, right? Because because if there's something that happens to me, even if I was old enough and in a state where I could carry, I still wouldn't want to take the life of somebody else. So the first thing I do is look for my exits to to protect myself. And, and obviously, I'm going to run to get out of danger if that's something I'm able to do. Take some self-defense classes, bro, because <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, the way of thinking of, especially with people, I can understand if he had a knife and he was armed and you had nothing else to do. I understand that. But when you said unarmed and that and that's your reaction. No, I'm not. I'm not you that should, you know, you should, you know, sit in that cell for a couple, yeah. a couple months, you know, maybe a year or so. <laughs> but um, what I'm trying to say is that way of thinking of the only way that I can, this happens in the police. The only way I can de-escalate a situation or save myself is, and you know, you can say, oh, I just shoot him in the, I shoot him in the body. You never know what's going to happen to him in a moment. Most of the times when people get shot, that that could change everything in their life. It can kill them. It shows an issue in the world that the only way to de-escalate these situations are to shoot at somebody. And that just shows a lack of 
lack of you know preparation to handle situations from everybody but you should go to jail if you shoot somebody in that context by the way i'm just letting you know yeah i, I think that i think that you one can sit thing, in there where george zimmerman should be so yeah i think that if somebody attacks another person to physically harm them i think they forfeit the right to live i'm sorry but that's just how i feel if somebody comes after me to physically hurt me they forfeit the right to live in that in that moment so afterwards, I can't track them down and kill them. But in that in that moment where they are f- trying to physically cause harm to me, I feel that they have forfeited the right to live. All right. Well, I thank everyone so very much for your participation here. Yeah, Josh, you didn't give a solution. Um, Why? I think my solution would be that um, we could we could ensure that the background checks are being done correctly. I liked what um, Joe Biden said yesterday, yesterday or a couple of days ago, when he was saying that like nobody should have access to guns with like a hundred rounds in it. That's that's reasonable. Like you shouldn't be able to have guns with like, you know, like thir- like thirty or forty rounds in them. So I think one thing we could do is make sure that even people who purchase semi-automatic weapons and aren't buying assault rifles that they have limited ammo capacity. Um, uh, calibers that aren't too big that could cause too much injury and other things like that all right so if that is the final statement of today if nobody has like like speak now or forever hold your peace um i thank everyone so much so much for for coming here um and talking about this this was a pretty i feel like a very heated conversation but we were all very civil um, I think that there was no disrespect and I think that was great. I think we came to a lot of good conclusions. I think we were able to discuss some um, differences that not everybody can discuss so easily. Uh, I really I really appreciate this cast. Um, I want to give a shout out to everyone here, um, to, to Josh Sharp, to Hunger Younger, to Brooke Lutwin, to Christopher Reeves. They're so they're amazing, amazing people. Like you guys heard them here. Um, uh, like truly, I think this is great. Do you guys want to say goodbye to the audience and, you know, maybe give them a message if you'd like? Treat people with <laughs> kindness. I agree with that. And I also want to thank everyone because it was, thank you for inviting me on the show, Gabby. And like, it, I felt that it was a really nice conversation where we were all pretty peaceful about it. And even though we probably did disagree, especially a lot on certain specific points, I did like the um, thought exercise. So thank you guys. Yeah. And I'm happy. I'm happy to have it. Um, you guys, if you ever want to contact these people, you guys know where to, where to follow me, where to contact me. My Instagram is Gabriella.feinberg. Um, if you need to talk to any of these people or you need to talk to me because you want to be on the pod and discuss these things, please like we're open for that. But um, thank you. My name is Gabriella. I'm your host, and this was Tough Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pikesville Podcast. A big thank you to Miss Durier, Nicole Schiff, Alyssa Salas, Eric Delian, Miles Jones, Hunter Younger, Christopher Reeves, and Josh Sharp for being guests on the podcast. Also, thank you to Garnet Jackson for creating music for the podcast. We will have another episode coming out in a few weeks. Once again, I'm your guest host, Brooke Lutwin, signing off. Stay possum, Pikesville.